All right, Galatians chapter 1. Let's read verses 1 through 2 just as an opening text. Galatians 1, 1 through 2, New American Standard Bible says, Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Yeshua the Messiah and Yahweh the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. May Yahweh bless his word to our hearts today. In our last lesson, I discussed the to whom, primarily, that Galatians was written to, and also the by whom and the where. We talked about the by whom, obviously, Paul, and also the brothers who were with him. Some of those are mentioned in Acts 13, 1 through 3. And the where is in the region of Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey, if you're wondering where that's at, the region of Galatia. But we went deeper than just identifying the to whom as Galatians. We talked about how that it was written to the uncircumcised from among the Gentiles or the nations that had placed their faith in the Messiah. That's who this epistle was specifically written to. Galatians was not written to the Judahite brothers in the Messiah inside of the Messianic congregations in Galatia. These brothers, these Judahite brothers, they had grown up in the faith of the mighty one of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Even before they came to believe in Yeshua as the Messiah, they'd grown up in the Hebrew faith. They would go to the synagogue as their custom was, as Yeshua's custom was, every Sabbath day, Luke 4, 16. These brothers, these Judahite brothers in Messiah, they had been circumcised as little baby boys at eight days old, as the law commanded, because they were born into families that served the Almighty. Now, in contrast to that, we have heathens from among the nations. These had not been born into families who served Yahweh in any way. They had not known Elohim. They had not known the Mighty One of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were born into families who worshipped false Mighty Ones. And at a later time in their adult life, when they were adults, they came to faith in the Messiah. How? From hearing the Gospel preached. From hearing the good news preached. But they were uncircumcised when they came to faith in the Messiah. They learned of the Father and the Son while in their heathen ways, or as an uncircumcised Yah-fearer in the synagogue with the Judahites, as we talked about in Acts 13 last week. So, the heathens from among the nations were not part of the Yehudim, or they were not part of the covenant of Israel. No uncircumcised Gentile or heathen of the nations was considered to be part of covenant Israel. I want you to remember that. We're going to get back to that momentarily. None of them were. Why? Because they had not grown up in the faith. It was to these heathen adult converts in the Messiah that Galatians was written. So to summarize, these uncircumcised Gentiles that had placed their faith in the Messiah were being pressured by some of the Judahite brothers that would also profess Messiah to proselytize over to the faith of the Yehudim, the Judahites, in order to receive salvation or right standing with the Almighty. And a primary way of proselytization was through the physical act of circumcision. And they were telling them, in other words, they were telling them, faith in the Messiah is not enough. It's not enough. They said, you have to become one of us. You have to become a Yehudim. 
you have to become a Judahite to really count as part of the family of Elohim. And the primary way to do that was to be circumcised, and not just to be circumcised necessarily by Abrahamic circumcision, as Genesis 17 talks about, but you had to be circumcised according to their rights, ways, and standards. We ended the lesson in Acts 13 in Pisidian Antioch, a city in the region of Galatia. If you recall, Paul and Barnabas arrived at the Judahite synagogue there on the Sabbath day, and after the law and the prophets were read, they were asked, Brothers, do you have any words of exhortation? Stand up and let's hear them. So Paul did that. He stood up and Paul addressed one, the men of Israel. He said, Men of Israel, that's the circumcised Yehudim. That's the people considered part of the Old Covenant. Okay, And then he said, And those among you who fear God, or fear the Almighty. That's the uncircumcised from among the nations. They don't yet know the Messiah. They're uncircumcised, but they're Yah-fearers like, who did we talk about last week? Cornelius, the man from the Italian battalion, right? He was a Yah-fearer. He prayed. Yahweh listened to his prayers, but he was not circumcised. Now I want you to please not forget that this synagogue in Antioch of Pisidia is not a Messianic synagogue. This is simply a synagogue of Judahites and fearers of the Almighty. The people in attendance claim belief in the Mighty One of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they claim belief in the Torah, but not yet in Yeshua as the Messiah, Son of the Almighty. So Paul goes in and his message, what is his message about? It's about Yeshua. He preaches the Messiah to them. And you know what? When he does that, nobody really gets upset. No one makes that big of a deal at this point about Paul's message. And you've got to realize this is back in the first century. Try your best to let go of the 21st century mindset that we have and transport your mind back to the first century. There was no Christian Yehudim distinction back here in the first century when Paul entered into the synagogue. Let me say it like this. Paul was not a modern-day Christian preacher with a three-piece suit on, preaching to them, holding a modern translation, saying something like, this is my Bible, I am what it says I am, I can do what it says I can do. Right? This on the screen, this is not what Paul looked like. Paul didn't look like that. There were no churches back then, like you see on every corner now. Now, I know sometimes we, we have this paradigm in our mind, and it's because we grew up with a Western mentality, and we didn't grow up in the Middle East, and we think that the old-time religion is what Grandma and Grandpa believed. Give me that old-time religion. You've got to go further back than Grandmama and Granddaddy. And I love my Grandmama and my Granddaddy. And they taught me great things, and I'm thankful I grew up in a Christian family. But old-time religion is not Grandmama and Granddaddy's religion. Old-time religion, I'm thankful for the Puritans and the Pilgrims. They had a lot of great things, but that's not old-time religion. You've got to keep going back through Martin Luther, through Athanasius, through Arius, through Ignatius. You've got to go through Clement. You've got to go through the disciples. And you know who you go back to? The Messiah Himself. The Messiah Himself. Why? Because He did it all right. That's who we've got to look at. Go back to His mindset. So Paul, I don't have any pictures of Rabbi Shaul, Teacher Shaul, but Paul would have looked maybe something more like this when he entered into the synagogue. 
Paul himself was one of the Yehudim. He was a Judahite from the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of the Hebrews, Pharisee of the Pharisees, as touching the law blameless, Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. Paul was not foreign to the people in this synagogue. Paul observed the Torah. Paul was a top-notch Pharisee. Paul dressed in a robe. Paul wore the tzitzit. He looked like one of them when he walked into that synagogue. So did Yosef Barnaba, who we call Barnabas. So did he. Barnabas was a Levite. A Levite. He walked into the synagogue. He looked just like the, the unbelievers, the ones that didn't believe in the Messiah. They looked just like them. So Paul posed no serious threat to the diaspora Judahites outside of the land of Israel. He posed no serious threat to them that were living in Galatia. The message about Yeshua being the Messiah was listened to by those in attendance that day. They were not fighting the message at this point. So we continue in Acts 13, beginning at verse 42. It says, after Paul preached this message, it says, as Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. They wanted to continue hearing Paul's message about the Messiah. They're not fighting it at this point. They begged Paul and Barnabas, keep telling us on the next Sabbath, keep telling us. Verse 43, now when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Judahites, that is the Yehudim, and of the almighty fearing proselytes, followed Paul and Barnabas. Notice the Yehudim and the proselytes. Remember the proselytes were also people that had not been born or grew up in the faith, but they proselytized to the faith of the Yehudim, the Judahites. How? Through primarily circumcision. Also historically, a mikvah, which is a proselyte baptism into the Judahite faith. And then they would offer, if it was possible, they'd offer a sacrifice. And thus they became known as one of the family. So the Yehudim and the proselytes, they followed Barnabas and Paul and they urged them continuing the grace of the Almighty. They wanted more. It was not until almost the entire town of Pisidian Antioch showed up on the next Sabbath that things began to get out of hand. Acts 13, 44 through 45 says, The next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Master. Let me make a point here too. It's not in my notes. There were no Sunday services or first day services at this time. Paul and Barnabas are not going into this synagogue on the Sabbath and then meeting at a church on the first day of the week. That didn't exist. Now, I know that sounds strange to our 21st century mindset because we have them on every corner. And still, because of the way I was raised, when Sunday rolls around, Sunday on this Gregorian calendar, it feels like a relaxed day to me because I was raised that way. But I've got to remember, give me that old-time religion. Keep going back to the Messiah. The Messiah never went to church. He never sang in the choir. He never took communion. Okay? I, I heard a guy speak one time that said he was raised in church and he wondered what part Jesus sang in the choir. Did he sing alto? Did he sing, you know, I mean, what part? Because that's how he was raised. And this, this is actually a Messianic teacher. He said that's what he thought when he was a little boy. But see, Yeshua didn't experience any of this. He was part of the Hebraic faith. He would go, Luke 4.16 says, he would go into the synagogue on the Sabbath. Paul did not go in, Rabbi Shaul, as they would have called him, Shaul, he did not go into that synagogue 
proclaiming that nobody needed to keep the Torah. That wasn't his sermon. Read Acts 13. He never tells them, you guys don't have to keep the Torah anymore. He never says that. What he says is the Messiah, the one prophesied about in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament, He has showed up. And you must believe in the Deliverer. You must believe in the one that the Almighty has sent. You must believe in the prophet like Moses that's raised up among the brothers. You must believe in Him for your salvation. Through Him you can be justified, made right with Yahweh from all things which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. The law of Moses was never intended. It was never even given for justification. It was given as a way of life. This is what Shaul, or Paul, is teaching. So the next Sabbath, the whole city assembles to hear the word of the Lord, the word of the Master. But when the Judahites saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. And they began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. So it's only when the Yehudim sees the crowds that they get jealous. Crowds of who? The heathens. The whole city. Everybody shows up. Word gets out that these guys are coming preaching this message. And the whole, almost the whole city, do you know the Syriac and Ethiopic versions of the book of Acts? doesn't even use the word nearly. It just says the whole city showed up. Everybody wanted to hear the message. So the Judahites get jealous. This is only for us. This is only our message. We're the only ones supposed to be getting this message. So we're going to start sowing discord. We're going to start contradicting what Paul and Barnabas are saying. That's what happened. And it says they were blaspheming. Remember, this is happening in Galatia. That's why this is important. Acts 13 is happening in Galatia. A preacher could pick up a Bible and turn to the book of Galatians and start teaching and then come up with a message about your life and how it somehow fits into your life. But you'll never understand Galatians as it was written without understanding the background to the book. Now, it's okay. Once you understand what it originally meant, then you can ask, okay, how does this apply to me or for me? But not before you understand what it originally meant. So this is happening in Galatia. When Paul penned Galatians, he wasn't thinking, there's some church in Conyers, Georgia, 2,000 years from now, that's going to read this book, and I'm, I'm going to make sure I fit them in here. No, that wasn't in Paul's mind. Paul was writing to a specific audience in his day and time. So this, Acts 13, is happening in Galatia. Look at what Paul and Barnabas says to these Judahites, these Judahite Israelites, Acts 13, 46. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, It was necessary that the word of the Almighty be spoken to you first. Why first? Because they were the people of the covenant. They had grew up on the faith of the mighty one of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They knew the Torah. They were Yehudim. It's necessary that we speak this to you first. But since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles or the nations. So Paul took no time to mince words. He basically told the Yehudim, he said, okay, if you don't want the message, we'll teach it to somebody else. We'll teach it to the whole city. And then Paul quotes a verse from the book of Isaiah, in Acts 13, 47, he says, For so the Master has commanded us. And then he quotes Isaiah, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And Paul does something with the Isaiah text that's known in Hebrew as a midrash. It's a commentary or a paraphrase. 
He doesn't quote from the Masoretic text. He doesn't quote from the Septuagint. He paraphrases the text and gives his interpretation or his commentary on it. Paraphrases are very old and ancient. They go all the way back to the Aramaic Targums, which basically means an interpretation or a paraphrase. So Paul and Barnabas fulfilled preaching the word of the Almighty to the Judahites first. That's what they did the week before in the synagogue. Remember the week before in the synagogue on the Sabbath? They preached it to them first. Everything seemed to go fairly well. But when nearly the whole city showed up, heathens and all, they didn't like it. They got jealous. They started contradicting Paul and Barnabas. They said, hey, this is our message. What are you doing preaching it to straight up heathens? They're not people of the covenant. What are you preaching to them for? They're uncircumcised. What are you preaching to them? Then Paul quotes Isaiah 49, or verses 5 through 6. We're going to read that from the prophet Isaiah. It says, And now says Yahweh, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, so that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the sight of Yahweh, and my Almighty is my strength. He says, Is it too small a thing that you should be my servant? to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel, I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Now, I'm not going to go into detail and take time in Isaiah 49, 1-5. I would encourage you to read that, but I want to make you a proposition here and don't take my word for it. You go back and study it. But it is about Yeshua the Messiah. Isaiah 49, 1-5 is about Yeshua the Messiah. When Yeshua was a little baby boy and his parents brought him to the temple in Jerusalem to be dedicated to Yahweh. As it is written in the law, you dedicate the firstborns to Yahweh. There was a man, an old man, who had been revealed by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he saw the salvation of Yahweh. And he saw this little baby boy and he lifted him up. And his name was Shimeon. And he quoted... Isaiah 49, because it was about that little baby, the baby Messiah. He quoted Isaiah 49. So in verse 5, where the speaker says, Yahweh who formed me from the womb to be his servant, that's a prophecy about Yeshua. And obviously we know Yeshua was formed in the womb directly by Yahweh. Right? Virgin birth. We're talking about virgin conception, virgin birth. Yeshua is the me whom Yahweh formed in order to bring Jacob Israel back to himself. So that's what verses 5 through 6a say in Isaiah 49. Yeshua is the servant of Yahweh that raises up the tribes of Jacob and restores the preserved ones of Israel. That's true. But then in 6b, the verse continues that he is also a light to the nations so that Yahweh's salvation may reach to the end of the earth. That is a prophecy that separates the nations from the people of Israel. That's the point Paul is making in Acts 13. Paul preached Yeshua to the Judahites. He preached it to them first. But the Judahites got jealous when the whole city, the heathens, the nations, or the Gentiles, came to listen to the same message, and Paul and Barnabas just kept on preaching to the uncircumcised heathens in the same manner that they had preached to the covenant Judahites. And they got jealous. And Paul quotes Isaiah 49 and 6 to show that Yahweh's salvation is not just for the Yehudim. It's not just for those who grew up in a family that believed in the mighty one of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's not just for the Israelites who had been circumcised at eight days old 
and joined the covenant from birth. Yeshua, Isaiah 49 and 6, I have also made you a light to the nations, so that my salvation may reach, how far? To the ends of the earth. Now, who are the nations? Are they rebellious Israelites that were divorced by Yahweh and scattered among the heathens, or are they just straight up heathens? I know some of you are probably wondering how I believe on this. I believe that there were certainly divorced and scattered Israelites, physical Israelites, living in the region of Galatia. Hundreds of years before when Yahweh had divorced them in the time of the prophet Hosea and they had been sifted or scattered among the nations, that means that's where they were. But when you found them, they wouldn't be serving Yahweh. because Why were they divorced? Because they were rebellious. So they would be in heathen nations and they would become known as... Heathens, part of the nations. So there were definitely some physical Israelites there. And the word Gentiles or ethnos in Greek can refer to physical Israelites who lost their identity and their name and were sifted into the heathen nations. Got no problem with that. It's very biblical. And I agree that it is incorrect to assume that the word Gentile always means someone who is not a physical Israelite. Sometimes the word ethnos refers to people who are flesh and blood Israelite people. And that's because the word ethnos just means nation or member in a nation. But I also believe it's just as incorrect to assume that the word Gentile always means a divorced and scattered Israelite. I think some people that learn that Gentile does not mean non-Israelite go to the other extreme and now they think every time they see it, at least in a positive way, they think it has to mean Israelite, divorced and scattered. No, the word doesn't have any ties in linguistics to Israel or non-Israel. It just means a nation or a member in a nation. So when the rebellious house of Israel were divorced by Yahweh and scattered and sifted among the heathens, they became known as heathens right along with the people they were sifted into. They were all known as heathens. They were all uncircumcised. They all grew up in families that served another mighty one. Here is the fact, and listen carefully. Any person in Galatia who was in a heathen home, raised in uncircumcision, worshiping false mighty ones, anybody like that, was not considered part of covenant Israel. Anybody. It didn't matter if they were a physical Israelite ancestry or not. They were not considered part of covenant Israel because they were raised as a heathen worshiping other mighty ones. Anybody that had been divorced by Yahweh and scattered among the heathen was known not as Israel. They lost that name. They were known as a heathen. So, catch this. The reason this is important is when nearly the whole city came to hear the word of Yahweh the next Sabbath day, Paul and Barnabas did not start weeding out people based upon genealogical papers. Paul and Barnabas didn't say, no, we can't preach to you, where's your papers? We can't preach to you, where's your papers? We can't preach to you. Paul and Barnabas did not start preaching to people because they looked a certain way or didn't look a certain way. They preached to the whole city and they let the Spirit of Yahweh do His work. According to Isaiah 49.6 and Acts 13.47, Yeshua is the servant of Yahweh that restores the tribes of Jacob Israel. But he is also a light to the nations, so that Yahweh's salvation shall be to the ends of the earth. 
And this is what upset the Yehudim that day. They did not want the message to go to the outsiders. Catch this. Catch this. The Yehudim there in the synagogue, they did not care if the outsider had physical Israelite blood running through their veins. That didn't matter to them because the man or woman was still an uncircumcised outsider. Thus, they were outside of the covenant, raised in the heathen home. So they're not part of the family. I hope you see that. In their minds, in the Yehudim's minds, even if that man accepted Yeshua as the Messiah, we're talking about believing Judahites now, many of them believed if an uncircumcised heathen like Cornelius accepted the Messiah, he's really not a true family member until he proselytizes and becomes one of us through physical circumcision. In other words, the gospel then doesn't become the son of Yahweh, that you have peace with the Almighty through the Messiah. That's no longer the gospel. Yeah, we'll talk about that, but really what the gospel includes is you've got to be circumcised. And that's what Paul was upset about in the book of Galatians. Finishing up in Acts 13. Acts 13, 48 says, When the Gentiles of the nations heard this, when they heard Paul looking at them, preaching, quoting Isaiah about a light to the nations, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Master, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. Now which came first, believing or appointing? Appointing. As many as had been appointed to eternal life, believed. Those who believed had already been appointed to eternal life. When Paul and Barnabas preached the message out to the crowds, the Holy Spirit did His work. They didn't have to force, they didn't have to dog, they didn't have to hound. They just preached, and Yahweh saved those who had been appointed to eternal life. Are you catching that? We get in front of the Holy Spirit too much. And we try to do what only He can do. So it's just like when I'm preaching today, as many as are appointed to eternal life, you'll believe. Acts 13, 48. Verse 49. And the word of the Master was being spread through the whole region. Contextually, the region of Galatia. Verse 50. But the Judahites, that is the Yehudim, the covenant-keeping circumcised synagogue-goers, not believing in the Messiah, they incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them slap out of the district. So the, the Judahites got together with the most upstanding men and women in the community and started a persecution against Paul and Barnabas. And just like Yeshua prophesied, they would be persecuted. This was happening to Paul and Barnabas. They drove them out of the city. Verse 51 says, But they shook off the dust of their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. So Paul and Barnabas took it like water off a duck's back. They said, You don't want us here? Here's your dust. We'll go somewhere else and preach. And you know what? When they left, that message that was preached in Pisidian Antioch was a sweet-smelling savor to Yahweh. Because Yahweh's Word will never return back void. If the message was preached, it'll do exactly what the Holy Spirit wants it to do. That's why it's so important to preach the Word. Not preach a joke book, not preach what you want to preach, not preach about what happened to you last week, but you preach the Word. 
whether it's popular or not popular, in season or out of season, you preach the Word and Yahweh will do His work. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to worry about it. Hallelujah. They don't accept, kick the dust off, we're going to Iconium. So, brothers and sisters, this is the backdrop for Paul's epistle to the Galatians. We've talked about it now in three sermons. It's so important. I hope that you're grasping a lot of this. Because if you begin to grasp what happened in Galatia in Acts 13, you will be able to better understand Paul's letter to the churches of Galatia as we go through the letter. If you grasp what we've been going through already, you'll be able to grasp the letter better. Many of the Yehudim, even the ones who came to believe in Yeshua as the Messiah, they did not believe that someone from among the nations was really saved until they first proselytized to the faith of Judah through circumcision. He's not really saved. Yeah, we know he's believed in the Messiah, but in order to be saved, he's got to keep this part of the law. And that is error. That's wrong. And as we go through Galatians, we're going to see that Paul preaches that that is error, not because of something he makes up, We're talking about Father Abraham who was declared righteous before Yahweh because of what? His works? No. Because of his faith. Because of his faith. Genesis 15, 1-6. You say, Brother Matthew, wasn't Abraham a righteous man? Absolutely. Wasn't he a commandment keeper? Yeah, our reading this past week, what is it? Genesis 25? Where Yahweh blesses Isaac? And he tells Isaac, the reason I'm going to bless you is because your dad kept my commandments. Because how many know the blessings of commandment-keeping parents filter down through the children? Now, if that doesn't give you a reason to want to keep the commandments, I don't know what will. But when you keep the commandments, those blessings filter down through your children and your grandchildren. See, Hallelujah. Genesis 25, 1-6. But that's not why Abraham was declared righteous. The reason he was declared righteous is simply because he believed Yahweh. Not by his works, but by his faith. By grace through faith. Any man that's ever been saved, it's not different in the new than it was in the old, any man that's ever been saved has been saved by grace through faith. In the Messiah. Because the Messiah, although the actual death of the Messiah didn't come about until later on, How many know the Bible says that He was the Lamb who was crucified from the foundations or before the foundations of the earth? Not literally. He wasn't hanging up on the torture stake beside the Father from the beginning. But in the plan of Yahweh, He was already crucified. You couldn't stop the plan. It already had happened. That's what justifies us. But these believing Yehudim, at least some of them, preach the gospel as become one of us through circumcision and then you'll be saved. In conclusion, I realize that some people may not agree with some of the things that I've said in this sermon. And I still love you if we keep on disagreeing. How many know we need to love one another even if we disagree on something? Amen. But I ask you to take a fresh look at what I've said and more importantly what the Scriptures say. Not 
the Bible talks about teachers, Bible teachers, and that's fine, but I don't really even want you to take a look at what I say. I want you to go back to what the Scriptures say. Far too often we read Scriptures with colored glasses on. How many know if you put some glasses on that have green lenses, everything you see is going to have a green tint? You take them glasses off and then you begin to see all the different colors, right? And, and we all read Scripture with glasses on. I'm, I'm talking metaphorically here. Somebody says, I don't read Scriptures with any glasses on, Brother Matthew. Yes, you do. And the man who thinks he has no traditions is the most bound by his traditions. We all do. And you know why? Because we all have background. We all have culture that we grew up in. Some things we have a paradigm about we don't even realize. There are still some songs. I grew up in the Pentecostal church, okay? There are still some old songs that I can hear that give me goosebumps when I hear them because I can hear my grandmama singing them. And I'm not saying that's wrong, but I'm just saying that that right there shouldn't be what I base my knowledge on. See, I can't read the Scriptures with those glasses on. But it's not just for those that grew up in the Pentecostal faith. It's for all of us. Pentecostals, Methodists, Baptists, Catholics, Lutheran, Episcopalian, Presbyterian, and even sacred name people. We get things in our mind and we think we think that the verses have to be saying something because that's what we were told. And we don't take our glasses off and try to read. So as I'm preparing these sermons, catch this now, as I'm preparing these sermons through Galatians, I'm not trying to go in here to prove something. I've not got something in my mind. I try to wipe everything out of my mind and go in here and get what the text says instead of trying to prove something and then find a verse that proves my point. We've got to take those tradition glasses off, throw them to the side, throw them away, get rid of them, and read the Bible and say, Father Yahweh, I want to know what the Word says. Praise Yahweh, He allows us to do that, but I've got a long way to go. It's a lifelong process. We all have baggage. We all have backgrounds. We all have things we think have to be true. So we read Scripture with a slant, thinking that it can't be saying something that maybe it actually does say. But we can't see it. Why? We've got some blinders on. And listen, the first step in repairing that breach is to admit that you've got some blinders on. That's the first step. Because if you can admit, okay, I know I've got some paradigms and traditions, I'm going to try to get rid of them. You can admit that. Yahweh sees humility and He begins to open up the floodgates of understanding. And with all you're getting, you begin to get understanding. Amen? So I ask that you and I, Brother Matthew, we do our very best to read and study the Bible. Let the Bible interpret the Bible. And may Yahweh help us all in this endeavor. So I'm going to pick this up again. We'll actually get into the text next moon when I teach. But next week, we get to hear my two favorite preachers, Brother Jerry Kennel and Brother T.J. Martin. Let's stand and close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. I pray that something that I said would stick, but more importantly, make sure that anything I said that was not right would not stick. And let the word be paramount. Father, continue to correct us, lead us, and guide us in your word. Cause us to understand the holy epistle to the Galatians that Paul wrote a long time ago. 
And then once we understand it and we have a grasp of it, then we can ask, what does, what does this mean for us? And I think we'll, uh, we'll, we'll glean a lot from it. I pray these things through your holy Son, Yeshua the Messiah. Amen.